Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Conduct Detrimental. This week, I am joined by Stephanie Weisenberger and Mike Lawson. What's up, gang? What's up, gang? How's it going? So we had uh, Jason Morin and Taryn Sharma and Darren Heitner on the, on the podcast last week. We have a guest this week, Jeremy Evans, California sports lawyer, conspicuously absent is Dan Wallach, who has assured us that his uh, scheduling issues will cease come June 27th. So all the listeners of the podcast can hold Dan accountable because Dan is claiming to be returning to America on June 27th from the month-long, year-long uh, hiatus in uh, Siberia, Russia. So Happy to have Dan back, but it will not hold my breath because I know Mother Russia loves Dan Wallach. So that said, guys, we had a big episode last week, one of our more popular episodes we've ever had, the recap of the Senate NIL hearings. Stephanie, Mike, we did not have the chance to get you on because we recorded on a random Wednesday in a restaurant in the story of Queens. But I open the floor up to you guys. What were your thoughts on uh, name image likeness, the Senate hearings, all that fun stuff? I think that what the senators were obviously saying is pretty clear. I mean... Clearly, the NCAA and Mark Emmert have not been able to solve this issue and do anything about it. And so they're kind of now saying, all right, then we have to do something about it. And so I I think Congress definitely does need to pass a law that gives college athletes the right to enter into NIL agreements. Because, I mean, Mark Emmert's literally made it so clear that he is not doing anything about it. And I forget what the what Senator said it, it was the late, you tweeted about it, Dan, um, where she pretty much just bashed the incompetence of the NCAA. And I have to say that I agree with that. I mean, if these coaches are getting paid significant, significant amounts of money, why can the college athletes that are essentially the reason for the significant amount of money that's flowing into these schools and then in turn paying the coaches, why can't they be able to profit off of their name, image, likeness as well. So I think that it is a good thing that the Senate is now holding another hearing in the future, a second one. And so hopefully they'll be able to lock down something in the near future. I was kind of blown away by the way that Mark Emmert was kind of just sitting there taking the punches. You and Darren Heitner, Dan, talked about this on the podcast. Like he was just sitting there just getting absolutely just grilled about his like a the way he's head was like a yeah getting punched honestly back. and he was just sitting there with a smile and it was stacked to me was i think so entertaining i think michael mccann definitely did the best i agree with darren heitner too like they just could not stay focused on the actual issue at hand they kept deviating off of it and trying to bring in a lot of secondary issues that are going to be involved with name image and likeness but not the actual issue of name image and likeness i think it's interesting how mark emmer is kind of like pleading with a federal legislation because he clearly just can't do anything so with all of the states having so many different laws being passed texas being the newest one now that we knew that was going to happen but with Texas, the bill was kind of sitting on the governor's desk, and that is now the sixth state for July passage of name, image, and likeness. Mark Emmert's like, I can't do anything. So maybe Congress can, and Congress just can't, you know, they couldn't stay focused. Senate, though, they were asking these questions that were just kind of all over the place. A couple of quotes that I tweeted out, but I thought were definitely the biggest things that I got out of it was, Interesting enough from Mark Emmer himself, he said, name, image, and likeness is now a proxy for pay for play. Now, that's one of the biggest gripes that everyone, fans across the world, have with name, image, and likeness because they're like, oh, college athletes can't be paid. So I think him saying that was good. And then same on the money aspect, Michael McCann kind of followed up later saying, 
money isn't the most important of name, image, and likeness, it's dignity. And then followed that up with a federal standard would ensure that each athlete is treated equally regardless of what state they play in. So it's this is it's just all of this level of fairness here about that the NCAA has got away, gotten away with using the name, image, and likeness of all these athletes to make billions on billions of dollars. And now something's actually happening with it. Whether that happens before the July 1st deadline, doubtful, seriously doubtful. But I thought it's definitely moving in the right step. So, Steph, to fill in that name, that's Marsha Blackburn, over at Senator over, I think it's Tennessee, if I'm remembering correctly. But yes, Mike, you pointed out the big news. Uh, this past week, Texas becomes the sixth state, not to pass NIL laws, but that has an operative date of July 1st. So continuing to apply pressure. Guys, I have a, maybe a dumb question. Why is everyone picking July 1st? What, what's wrong with like June 28th? Or June, why, why can't someone jump ahead? I mean, my right? Like, I don't know, let's apply some pressure. I will say that Nebraska and Oklahoma, their laws are drafted in such a way as to be enforceable whenever they want to apply it. I think the rule, at least in Nebraska, is that it has to be applicable before 2023. So that means it could be applicable as of tomorrow if they wanted to. So interesting. You know, we have a, we have a guest on, so you guys, you guys kind of eloquently put that out. We're still kind of watching. We have July 1st looming. So we'll see what comes in between now and then. Uh, we'll see injunctions, all that fun stuff. But we covered that in the last podcast. So if you're interested in an employee to check that out. This week, we have a guest on the show, Jeremy Evans, who I think people will know from the sports law space. He's the founder at the California Sports Lawyer, which is the name of his firm. I give Jeremy so much credit for his marketing online. He does his podcast, California Sports Lawyers, his firm. But I know Jeremy from when he was involved with the Sports Law Association, Thomas Jefferson Law School. So you guys know uh, that listen to the show, I created Fordham's National Basketball Negotiation Competition, which was the third sports law competition in the country. The second one was Jeremy's at Thomas Jefferson. He created it. I remember being at Tulane. I met Jeremy, who was a coach back then. And he said, hey, he was literally handing out flyers for his competition, which was going to be in a couple months. So I competed in that one as well. And then I said, you know what? This isn't that hard to create a third one. So now I think there are, uh, Jeremy and I will talk about it, but there's about 12 competitions of its sort in the country. So Jeremy was a pioneer. I saw what Jeremy's doing and that brought it over to the East Coast. So uh, we go back 10 years. But importantly, why I wanted to have Jeremy on, Jeremy's someone I networked with a decade ago, and he was a contemporary. He wasn't someone that was a senior lawyer or Mr. Sports Law. He was just a guy I met at a conference. And Jeremy has, you know, we, we've scratched each other's back over the years and now is now a friend in the industry. So Jeremy was in town in New York, I think. I mean, I won't, I won't blow his cover, but doing some business. And I figured we'd get him on the pod. So this episode is going to be simulcast across Jeremy's podcast. It's called Believe in Sports Law. I guess with that said, we'll turn it over to my conversation with Jeremy. Definitely check out his podcast and all that fun stuff. So Jeremy, it's been a while. What's up, my man? Dude, it's been too long, Dan. What, since 2000? Wow, what, mid-2000s, I guess, when we were working on Mid-2000s. It. <laughs> it hasn't been 20 years. It's been, uh, no, it's, I think it was, I know it was right around 2012. So Jeremy, thank you for joining us in New York and in, in here on business. So obviously you, we both have our, our sports podcast and this is going to be shown on across both feeds, but I wanted to little get into how, how we met, power of networking. And then obviously there's a couple of baseball topics, the sticky situation in baseball, the major league baseball memo, the impending or looming merger in tennis between the men's and women's uh, professional tennis, and also what's going on with Bob Baffert on the horse racing level. But Jeremy, before we get in, why don't, I feel like we should just talk about your, your background and as a pioneer of the sports law competition industry. You know, what's so funny, Dan and I met in, uh, I guess it was 2012, as you mentioned, and you were at Fordham Law School. Uh, I was down in San Diego and I started the National Sports Law Negotiation Competition based on experience I had at the Tulane, which is the Tulane International Baseball Arbitration Competition. 
When did they go international? That's new. I think because they added Canada. Okay. <laughs> so okay. Uh, we did this. This is now an international podcast. That, I have deemed it to be such. I love it. Uh, and then when we did the NSLNC, the National Sports on Negotiation Competition, we had, I think, the same Canadian school. We had schools from India and from Great Britain that wanted to compete, but it was always cost prohibitive. And then, of course, timing and everything else was difficult. But I never forget, uh, Dan approached me and said, hey, I want to get something similar started at Fordham. And I think I probably sent him like a four or five page packet that said, this is how I got the administration to do this. And here, here, I mean, the Fordham basketball competition is in how many years now? I think it's its eighth year, right around there. Jeez. And I think the NSLNC is in 12, but a little background on that. So when I went to Tulane, I competed in that competition for three years and then I've coached it basically every year since. So, and I think it's- You still coach it? I do. Okay. So I did coached it for my alma mater law school. And then now I coach it for Pepperdine, also my alma mater, but for not for JD, for LLM and MBA. But when I went back there, obviously I left a bad taste in my mouth because I didn't win the competition, right? Neither did I, full right, disclosure. Right, But I was like, we can create something really cool here and do something that, so what we did is we said, you do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I said, let's bring people in on a Friday night. We'll give them all the local cuisine from San Diego, the local beers, all that. Then we'll do networking thing. A little we'll Petco do, Park action. We're absolutely. I remember. We used to get suites in Petco Park. We'd do all that. We'd have the owner come by. Dave Winfield came by one time. We actually had two different owners come by because it went through an ownership change at some point. But we did that and we do a networking event. We would do a final round. We present trophies. And it seemed to be a really cool competition and provided people with more experience and opportunity. That's really how it came about. And now now we're friends, you know, 10 10 plus years later. So, you know, I guess my background for the the people that don't, that are are listening kind of this is new. And by the way, Jeremy and I are just sitting here in a conference room. We're figuring this out on the fly. You know, this is a crossover (laughs) episode. And I think, is there your first crossover episode? It's my first. Yeah, Yeah, this is number one. (laughs) The the Virgin Voyage. Okay. So I, like Jeremy, I, I was a 1L when I got the opportunity to compete in Tulane. And then I coached it my second year. It's probably 2011, maybe 2012, early 2012. And then I met this team from Thomas Jefferson. I remember at Tulane, you were handing out flyers for, for, the, Tom, for the Thomas Jefferson competition, which is maybe a faux pas in hindsight. It's like going to someone else's wedding and proposing at it. Like, hey, by the way, we're going to do this thing and it's right. going to be bigger and better. But um, <laughs> Advertising yeah. 101. Yeah, so... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was a good deal. I mean, that's that was pre-real like Twitter taking forms. So that was the that was the way you got across. So I remember sitting in. I'm like, okay, we have a baseball competition, and Tulane does a fantastic job. They're the blueprint for, right. for all of this. They're the ones Great. that come up with it. They are the best. And then Thomas Jefferson. I'm like, okay, and you guys were doing a national sports law competition. So I, you know, and I wasn't anybody. I wasn't the president of Fordham or anything. I just said, hey, there is one sport, and then Thomas Jefferson's doing all sports. So there's clearly a lane. Just reading the writing on the wall for a basketball competition, a football competition, a hockey competition, and maybe a second baseball competition, do as many of these as possible. But Jeremy, I'm like you, like the Tulane competition was the coolest experience I had in law school. The way I explained to people, it very closely modeled what you would argue in fantasy sports. Like you're literally just figuring out which players work more than other players. So for those listening to this that have not competed in some type of competition or don't know about it, obviously Jeremy and I are, are good resources on it, but you know, uh, I give Jeremy you the credit because I got the idea from you and you gave me this packet, which I, you know, I, I switched around enough right, right. and I gave it to our, our Fordham, the, the dean at Fordham. And I said, hey, this is the blueprint that got approved to Thomas Jefferson and the blueprint follows what they did at Tulane. We should do this on the East Coast. So right. now, yeah, the competition's eighth year and it's doing pretty well. But I guess the reason, you know, we, I bring up this story, like 
I don't know, it's 10 years ago. And, you know, we don't have to leave the name of the, the company on this. But Jeremy, you referred me to a job not so long right. ago, which was right. a job that was in, yeah, which didn't work out for whatever reason, but an East Coast sports law job that was out of your jurisdiction. You said, hey, let me think of this guy, Dan. I remember right. this crazy kid from uh, <laughs> with competitions. That's how, you know, networking works. So everyone, you know, and I, and I love getting DMs in Jeremy, I'm sure you're the same way, like, you know, from law students trying to reach out to people that are, you know, maybe more experienced, but the best network you can do is people that are your own age, right? Because right. you don't know where they're, they're going to pop out at the other end of the spectrum. So I don't know, just important. But anyway, I turn yeah. it to you. No, and Dan, you bring up some really good points in that, I mean, the networking aspect. I mean, I got a message the other day from a high school student. And with social media these days, you get messages from anybody. We didn't have access to that. You know, it was like pre-social media. We had it, but we weren't using it for those purposes. We were using it for some, some yeah, options, right? Some purposes that someone might use it as a single guy right, in, uh, right, right. in their various jurisdictions. But yes. Pre-dating apps. You know? Yeah, that's how you did it. But when, I, I remember when Facebook official was a thing. That's that's my wife and I are dating anniversary right. when we went Facebook right. official. <laughs> I, well, I said the funny now it's like when people do Facebook official, they've been dating for a few years, but they forget to turn it on. Yeah. And everybody comments and likes it. It's like, well, we've been together for five right, years. Right, right. Facebook official, we we sound like dinosaurs. Right. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's scary. But it was a great opportunity to meet Dan, and obviously the competitions are great. And one thing that I'll mention is that, you know, academics is generally not profit making, and the competitions were profit making. That that is people don't know that. No, and 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 so to me, I'm like, okay, we're the only ones really bringing in. I think you taught me that. Yeah. yeah, I go, how, I go, how are you going to buy? Because I'm sure you're the same way. That Fordham gave us very little money to do anything. We had zero. Right, like so we Fordham was really kind enough to. We had in the budget trips to go to Tulane. But then when I went to Thomas Jefferson, I had to pay my own way to do everything. And I'm like, screw it. Like, I need to figure this part out and see competition. Yeah, but go ahead. Yeah, no. So it's, so it's profit making. You bring in a profit to the school. It's great. It's good for the reputations of the school. And it's good training grounds. I know employers that only hire uh, folks who competed in those. I got a job, my first job at the baseball agency, SFX Baseball. I got it from Tulane. And they were only taking applications from Tulane participants, which is right. crazy. But then there needs to be more competitions to create more jobs. I agree. And now Tulane's added a football one. Uh, they still have the baseball one. I think there's a moot court competition. Yeah, there's a writing competition. Yeah. But there's a lot of options now. And actually, when people message me, I'll send them a list of like the 12 existing sports competitions in the country. And there's a lot of them now. Even there's a hockey one in Canada. Mm -hmm. There is... Villanova has football. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, UCLA and Villanova have the joint sports case competition, which is MBA and JD students together. So it's kind of cool. This is the, well, I don't know if they still have diamond dollars at this competition uh, through Sabre, which I competed in. It's a bunch of fun stuff. But like, you know, Jer Jeremy and I both teach uh, sports law classes now, um, starting in the fall, at least for me. I know you've been doing it for a couple of years. Yeah, I did it when I was at Thomas Jefferson. And then now I'm doing it in the management side for Cal State Long Beach and their graduate sport management program. And then also helping out San Diego State start their esports program. And then I also teach online for American Public University, which is an online school for America's military and law Look enforcement at you. personnel. So, yeah, I mean, Jeremy, I, I see all the stuff you do, you're posting, you're publishing. So, you know, the, there's a blueprint that's been created for, for years, you know, uh, even with guys like Darren Heitner and Michael McCann. So I'm happy to have you on. As a contemporary peer, we'll say a colleague. Yeah, we're colleagues. <laughs> um, okay, so that's the the fun background stuff. Networking is important. Don't don't let anybody tell you that networking is. I don't know. Does, if someone if, if you don't know what networking is, ask somebody because for about a decade 
I was networking is going to wine and cheese events and handing out right. a business card and then throwing in the garbage. But right. that's that's not really networking. Okay. <laughs> what do you think? We got sticky substances, right? Major League Baseball. We have the, uh, the impending tennis merger and we have the Bob Baffert litigation. You pick. You want to spin the wheel? You pick. Which let's one? let's do the baseball one. Baseball one. Baseball. Okay. You you lead us off. So the baseball one is interesting. We were talking about this this morning. Obviously, Trevor Bauer for the Dodgers. He sent a tweet out last. I have some night. thoughts on Trevor Bauer. Yeah, he's a character. Are you you're a Dodgers fan? Yeah, I am. You're a Trevor Bauer fan? I am. But okay, go ahead. So he's get ready for the hot seat. Right? He's a character, but it, it is interesting because on one hand, baseball is really trying to regulate sort of you know obviously there were PED things in the past. Strikeouts have been through the roof this year. Home runs have been up. I think that has more to do with stat cast and launch angle and those sorts of things. There's been some pushback against that, but now they're basically saying, okay, these pitchers have too much of an advantage. Anybody who knows baseball, and I know Dan does, probably one of the foremost experts in the country on sports and, and baseball. Oh, and, I'll take it. And I, I love listening to him and love his stuff. But I'll say this is I think you look at the history of baseball, and this has happened many times. Before. There was times where they lowered the mound. They hired, you know, right. they, they added more to the mound. So I think this is just one of those iterations in history. I read this book back, I think it was called, well, I don't remember the name, but it was a Bob Gibson, uh, uh, I guess, biography. But mm-hmm. it talked about how Bob Gibson had an, a, he had, you know, if you look at his stats, and I'm not sure what year it was, but like a microscopic ERA, and then they changed the mound, but they changed the mound emphasis on the following year. They made an adapt, you know, an adjustment after the season was over, everybody got together. Jeff Passett is a great follow for all the stuff. If anyone's looking on, on Twitter or elsewhere, where it's where I get a lot of my baseball information. Passon wanted to point out at least one interesting nugget. Like, okay, so I guess the, the bare bones, June 21st, they're going to start suspending guys. 10-game suspensions. For the most part, the suspensions are going to be with pay. I think the interesting carve-out that Passon points out is that the suspensions will be issued not just to the pitcher, but to any position player that is found to have contributed or somehow provided the sticky substance. So the example he gives is the catcher. So if the catcher somehow has it on his glove or his back pocket and he doctors up the ball with a shortstop at a mound visit, that there's going to be suspensions. And now I guess the interesting carve out in the past, when you have a suspension, you can call a player up from, you know, the minors to replace him, whatever. This is going to be a non-replaceable suspension. So for that 10 game period, you can't just call up another pitcher to take the guy's spot in the rotation. You're down a guy. So it, it adds a little bit more teeth. Um, but yeah, so I, I wanted to, I wanted to grill you, Jeremy, on, on Trevor Bauer's yeah. comments. Yeah. I'm smiling because I, Trevor, let's just say this. Do you know Rachel Luba? You, I do. Do you know her personally? So I do. Uh, Rachel Luba, Trevor Bauer's agent. Right. And she uh, also went to Pepperdine Law. Okay. And so we were connected actually through the baseball arbitration competition. Oh. So. Too late? Yeah. So, okay. I'm not, listen, all, all I know is that Trevor Bauer is very outspoken. And sometimes like you and I have on the litigation side, sometimes you have clients yeah. that you do not advise them to say certain things, but the client's paying the bills and they do it anyway. So sometimes you walk into a firestorm that just says, okay, like I, I wanna represent this person. I believe in their case. And you kind of take it as you leave it. The client is very outspoken. I cannot control them. Right. So the comment that I saw come across my timeline yesterday was by Tyler Glasnow. So I guess I'll we'll kind of weave it all in. Tyler Glasnow, and it's seemingly a lot of pitchers have an issue with this. I saw a comment from Carlos Rodon, uh, who we'll get into as well. But the issue seems to be that you shouldn't change a rule in the middle of the season, that it's going to be a little risky. So talked about Bob Gibson changing the mound, lowering the mound. That's fine if you do it in the offseason. You give guys, pitchers, catchers, everyone some time to adapt. So Glasnow, great pitcher for the Tampa Bay Rays, he tears his UCL and it comes out. This is a quote from him yesterday. It's from Trisha Whitaker over on Twitter. Quote from Tyler Glasnow. I just threw 80-something innings and you just told me I can't use anything. 
I have to change everything. I truly believe 100%. That's why I got hurt. I'm frustrated Major League Baseball doesn't understand. You can't just tell us to use nothing. It's crazy. So I'll give you one more, then I'll, I'll explain to you why I bring up Rachel Lula. So Trevor Bauer quote tweets that, and he says, one of, uh, sorry, only one of the massive problems with what Major League Baseball is doing. They've knowingly swept this under the rug for four years. Now they implement a knee-jerk reaction to shifting public sentiment. Hard to hear them talk about, quote, competitive integrity when they have no integrity to begin with. So I know I gave you a lot. Um, what do you think about Glasnow's comment and uh, Bauer's comment? So a couple thoughts about it. First of all, I applaud Rachel Luba for taking on clients who are outspoken because my inclination would be take on clients that are more quiet, right? I think most people. And, and so I give her a lot of credit for that. And, and Trevor Bauer is definitely outspoken. I guess two things. You bring up a really important point, which is you have to change the rules in the offseason. That goes, you can't do it midseason. Hard stop, right. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, unless it's some sort of drastic thing that's going on. But this is really more about I think marketing and that sort of thing, they want to get, you know, they, they want to make the game fun, right? They want to add more home runs. They want to add more hits, batting average, strikeouts, you know, that whole thing, I guess. So that's the first thing, I guess. The second thing would be, you know, the history of this is that it used to be, for example, I went to a Mets game last night and then Gil Hodges, famous Dodger and, uh, and obviously uh, Mets manager, I think when they won the, the miracle Mets in what, 1969, right? Mm -hmm. And he used to take the ball from the pitcher and he would doctor up the ball. And the umpires knew this. He would, you know, he had huge hands. So he would like basically loosen the leather up. They would put dirt on it. So to me, it's somewhat comical now. Spitball action. Right. Yeah. It's comical now that they're like, oh, we're going to, you know, it needs to be a you know, clear and clean and crisp ball and we can't change it. So that part to me, the history here is a little bit interesting. I think the other part to this is, is that to me, I'm a big fan of, the tradition of, of baseball, and they've always done this. Uh, so I think to stop it now, clearly the guys are using it. Here's the one thing I'll say, which is funny. A lot of times, if you're accused of something, sometimes if you just stay quiet, you know, you, know, you can kind of be in a better position. But in one way, I give Glasnow and Bauer a lot of credit for coming out and like, because they're tweeting, basically they're saying, yes, we do this, right? That's what, that's the only way you can read these comments. Right. Garrett Cole, similar version last right. week. Yeah. Right. And Wayne Wainwright came out and admitted it. Right. Yeah. And so I'll give him credit for that. I just, I wish baseball would have waited. I wish they would have talked with players association, figured this out. Maybe you allow certain substances like pine tar or mm. something that's like sunscreen rosin combo. Right. Yeah. Something that's natural to like the game and being used. Versus like, I've got a razor blade, you know, or something. I'm, anyway, those are my thoughts. I, I want to make sure, I mean, this is, this is a loaded topic, but I, I know as a, as a decades-long fantasy baseball commissioner, <laughs> right. if someone tried to change a rule in the middle of the year, be it waivers or free agent auction budget, it just wouldn't fly. It wouldn't happen no. because it benefits someone to the detriment of others. And it's very clear during the season who that rule impacts. Right. So we have a rule in all, in all the different leagues I'm a part of. No mid-season rule changes, period. Hard stop, not going to happen. Right. COVID was a little different because we had to adjust on the fly, but that's fine. I read some comments from different players. I guess the MLBPA had a discussion about this. So okay. I guess let me take one step back. There's been about, I guess it's a couple weeks now where Major League Baseball kind of made it known to players, hey, we are going to make an announcement at some point in June uh, where we're going to start issuing suspensions at some point. Sure. So since that has occurred, players, and you can see it in the numbers, spin rates or batting averages, something has changed. The league batting average has gone up from 236 pre this announcement to 246. So hitters are gaining an advantage. 
spin rates, including Trevor Bowers, have fallen precipitously. They've fallen off the off the board. So, like, you know, what used to be his minimum spin rate in a particular game is now, you know, is now much lower in his average spin rate. So something has changed. Credit to Glasnow and I guess to admitting it. And Gary Cole didn't seemingly want to admit it, but you know, Glasnow's comments, right? Like, you can't just tell us to use nothing. It's crazy. And he's saying this is the reason I'm hurt. He's telling you he's using some type of substance. So right. I made a joke, which I, I tend to do sometimes. <laughs> like, last night should have just pled the fifth. Right. Don't right. say anything, right? right? But, you know, credit to them, they're, they're coming out. So I made a comment, you know, I should just close the loop. Like, there was a comment from some players, I guess it was a meeting with the union, where they yeah. kind of said, like, what substances are people using? It was kind of like, hey, just come to us now, acknowledge it, and let's move forward. So people said, is there an issue hitters? And this is a meeting with hitters and pitchers. Do hitters have an issue with sunscreen and rosin? And the comments from hitters were, no, we have no issues with that. It's all off the record. There's no, right. every, all anonymous. So I think Glasnow's issue and different pitchers' issue is that, hey, this is an issue of safety. We've thrown the ball with sunscreen and rosin, maybe not the illegal sticky substance, whatever it is, right. um, or super glue, whatever these guys were using. But you can't just tell us in the middle of the year, while we, you know, we have pitchers and catchers reporting, we, we get used to throwing a ball a certain way. This is going to hurt players. So sunscreen and rosin, I guess, has been used for years knowingly with no issues to hitters. But Major League Baseball might have gone a step too far and said no substances, period. Right. So that's, I mean, that's that's a separate issue. Yeah, and I, I guess two points I'll say to that. One is, is, again, I think history is important here and what other sports are doing. So if you go to football, you got stick them, you've got basketball, people using baby powder. I mean, all these things help you sort of control the ball. Stick them is big. Right. Yeah. And this is not or any wide receiver catching a ball. Or, or how right. about how about the sticky gloves that they wear? Right. How about a DB? Right. Right. And then how about the fact that batters are using pine tar? That's not a foreign substance. Yeah, right. I mean, they do it to have more grip on the bat. Was George Brett thrown a home run was uh, taken away from George Brett once right. upon a time? Because it was too high along the... Right. Because he had too much pine tar on his bat. Right. Right. Yeah. And the measurement was, how was it <laughs> far across the home, across home plate? Right. Right. It's so crazy. I, I don't know. Um, to me, it's I, I hope that I'd like to see some sort of policy in place after this season where they somewhat reverse this a little bit, allow the pitchers to use something. I don't know. Like even when I play ball, I just do recreational stuff. But it's like I put dirt, everything else on my hands. Recreational, you know? right? Recreational games, not recreational substances. That's right. Okay. Just, just, we're just. Yes. <laughs> this show is called Conduct Detrimental, right? Right. right yes. We're not. We're not doing recreational. Stuff, no, right? no, no. Just I play a little uh, hard pitch uh, baseball <laughs> on the weekend. So, um, um, Dan. Yeah. No, listen, I got to keep you on your toes. Right. My my last point, then I, I think, um, you know, unless you have anything, like a friend of mine on Twitter, Nick Francona, who's uh, the son of Terry Francona, he's making a comment, which I think is very astute. He says, you know, he's it's a great observation, but fast forward to 2035 right. and Major League Baseball, you know, the, the baseball writers are going to say, well, I'm going to uh, stand on my high horse and I'm not going to elect these guys into the Hall of Fame because they were using substances. So it's like, it's such an interesting point because right, what Barry Bonds did wasn't wasn't illegal. What Mark McGuire did wasn't illegal. It was illegal after the fact. Right. So if you want to forecast this out, this is a very similar conversation to what's occurring in, in occurred in, that's occurring right now in steroids. Barry Bonds is not in the Hall of Fame, and he should be because he would never he never did anything illegal. We made it illegal after the fact. So I guess if you read the, the books, this has always been illegal, but it's not been enforced. It's gone under. You know, with, with everyone's knowledge, Mark McGuire did a, I remember this, I watched that. You watched that Long Gone Summer, 30 for 30? With, uh, yeah. It's a great one. Great one. But I, I didn't remember at the time, but McGuire, I guess, had 
what is now an illegal substance in his locker, just up. And he goes, yeah, you know, I take these once in a while. And it was like, if that had happened now, it's a, it's a huge issue, but the, it wasn't policed in the game. So Mark Levar didn't think there was any issue with having a bottle of supplements you know, in his, in his uh, locker. So I don't know, this is not an issue. It's going to go away soon. We're going to see this play on the next two, three weeks. I think when suspensions start to come by and it's like, okay, like this is just arbitrary enforcement of a rule that's always been on the books, but you've decided to enforce. So, right. I don't know, Jeremy, anything to add on this one before we move? I'm calling the Astros on this. Ah, I think great, the, great topic. I think the Astros are connected to this and that there was a lot of people who were really upset at how Major League Baseball handled the fallout of that. And I think this is in response and somewhat to that because on the minds of everybody is how do you, uh, how do you control or how do you penalize cheaters, so to speak, right? Or people who are alleged to have cheated. And I think this is where the rules come into play. You mentioned about uh, Major League Baseball saying if another player helps the guy, that's exactly what was happening with, you know, the Astros stuff. Right. It's a two-man game. But I think that they're in the back of everybody's minds, you have to, baseball had to have been thinking of this when they introduced this policy. I yeah. think so. I, I'm agreeing with you. And I, I meant to remind me, Carlos Rodon, pitcher for the White Sox, said you guys don't suspend the Astros, but you suspend us for 10 games in the middle of the year. And just to close the loop, Rachel Luba, I, I, we give her credit. I mean, this is a, you know, she's a, making a, a great name. Uh, as, as you know, Jeremy, I have a daughter at home, another daughter on the way. I love to see that Luba is making a name for herself in the space and credit to her. And I, I just, you know, Trevor Bauer is very outspoken. You, you fall on one side of the aisle with Bauer. He's on your team, you love him. If it's not your team, you hate him. I'm not a Mets fan, but I know Mets fans despise Trevor Bauer because he led them astray. I, I guess this, you can't tell the story of Sticky Substance without Trevor Bauer involved. Trevor Bauer was tweeting this back in you know years ago and basically saying Major League Baseball is not paying attention to this. And speaking of the Astros, he was, I think, insinuating that he knew that the Astros were using something. He goes, wouldn't it be, I'm paraphrasing, but wouldn't it be interesting if you could take someone from one team, teach them some type of trick, and then their spin rates improve, and then they're great. So like Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, whose names have both popped up, you know, especially Verlander in that LA Angels clubhouse attendant lawsuit. Right. But Bauer was on top of this. And then if you just look at the numbers and the analytics, it looks like Bauer said, if you know, if you can't beat him, join him, right? If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. And Bauer adopted the thing. So he goes, you know, he says, Major League Baseball, they've knowingly swept this under the rug for four years. You know, us as lawyers are trying to read the evidence. Right. It seems like Bauer brought this to Major League Baseball. They did nothing. And Bauer said, okay, if you will do nothing and you won't enforce this. I'm going to also do it. So I, this is my opinion. If I was Bauer's agent, I would be telling Bauer, lay low on this because you've kind of walked yourself into a tightrope. Right. But Bauer's going to do Bauer things. Right. Well, it's going to be interesting because I know a lot of Dodger fans that have reached out. You also out. paid the guy a ton of money. Right. We didn't talk about this. A lot. Do you get the money back if he's not Trevor, Trevor Bauer? Guaranteed money. So that's, that's <laughs> you know, you're left holding a giant bag. But it's going to be interesting. I think COVID in some sense too kind of, because normally you're right, this would never happen to where they would introduce this rule mid-season. But I think COVID changed a lot of things where it was like people were willing to be more like, you know, move more quickly. And so it's, I don't know, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely curious. I'm going to tee it to you. We try to talk about uh, all types of sports uh, on both shows. Tennis is not one that's come up on our show. So Jeremy, I'll turn it to you. You, you, you brought this one up. You put this one on my radar. Yeah. So uh, ATP and WTA, those are the two that's the men and women's tennis associations. They've now decided to get together under one roof and they're going to be essentially one broadcast partner. They're going to uh, do the programs together. And the reason I brought this up is I, I think that it's an interesting proposition of, of combining men's and women's leagues. I think part of it is political. 
But I think part of it is uh, women's sports are growing and more people are watching them. And so they're like, okay, how can we increase revenue here? And of course, everything in this day and age is about sort of meeting the consumer where they're at. This is why there's a growth in streaming across everything. And I think they're going to be broadcast partners, but I could conceivably see, you know, you watching an NBA game and the next thing you know, you're watching a WM, you know, as opposed to like it being on different platforms, different broadcasts. I think you're going to see a lot more combination that way. I'm into it. I know that at least in the, on the WNBA level, they've, they've started to partner a little bit the NBA in terms of video games, like the WNBA players are playable in the NBA's video games. But I think it's, I think it's important, even for something as simple. I was covering this. I did a hit for ESPN Seattle yesterday. But like, you know, just, I don't want to, I mean, we can't really avoid a conversation about talking about college right. sports in some sense. But even, even the Tennis Association, um, and I think its closest counterpart is probably the PGA and the LPGA. Like, there are different rules that impact, like for example, the golf has the uh, amateur tour, right? And your amateur status in golf has always been pretty clear. Don't take any money. So like someone like Tiger Woods, who was at Stanford, he was playing as an amateur on the amateur tour. But now with name, image, and likeness, Tiger Woods, a version of Tiger Woods playing in college is going to be able to make some money. So does that now make him ineligible on the PGA tours definition of what an amateur is? So I, I, I have no problem combining the LPGA and PGA. You know, women's professional tennis and men's professional tennis. It, it just creates some, you know, uh, consistency of rules. When now we're seeing it play out on like a state level and a federal level, you have all these landmines, even a school level, NCA level. Let's make the path a little more clear for women's professional players, men's professional players, you know, just so there's some consistency. I mean, right. I get that there's a free market. We should I don't know, allow people to compete with the, you know, ATP. Right and PGA, but I'm all for at least some consistency for our student athletes. Right. And there's definitely competition out there. I mean, you've got this super league that didn't work so well in European soccer, mm -hmm. but now you've got this premier golf league that's coming up. You've got a super golf league that's coming out. Super golf league? Something like, I forget the exact name. It's like, it was like literally like super golf league I'm or into something. It. I'm into it. But it's all like bigger payouts, different golf courses, and even racing is doing this. You have an e-racing, like off-road dirt track thing now. I know there's iRacing. Yeah, right. I mean, so to me, there's competition and it's it's going to be interesting because like on the, the NIL stuff, and I know you talked about this in your recent show, but the like state law thing is interesting to me because I kind of like the aspect that it's competitive in that you can, as an athlete, you can go, oh, I want to go to California because they have a better NIL law. To me, that's okay. It's like, well, then the state just needs to pass a better law to be more competitive. Right. You know, but I don't know. No, but I, I think going going back to like, you know, to tennis, I mean, this is playing out at a, at a high level, like, I don't know, maybe this is a little controversial, but like, you know, Novak Djokovic is a very outspoken uh, anti-vax, mm -hmm. has that position. So I know it's a half political topic, half sports topic, but like, you know, I don't know, you can't really say Venus and Serena Williams without talking about like, you know, Federer and Nadal. So I have no problem with combining, combining rules and creating some consistency, even something as simple as whether someone is required to be vaccinated to play in an event, that shouldn't be so much uh, inconsistency across sports. And even, you know, like Naomi Osaka, like that, that we're gonna see, I mean, this is gonna be another sports topic that we'll see, the issue of uh, free speech or, you know, lack of media controls, that has to be consistent among the men's and, and tennis, you know, men, men's and women's tennis sides. Um, have you been following the Naomi stuff? I have, and look, we gotta do a better job of protecting athletes, protecting like even the mental side of it. I mean. That was just a highlight of that, you know, but this stuff goes on all the time, even in somewhat of a more 
uh, comical sense, you had the Marshawn Lynch stuff mm-hmm. of I'm only here to, you know, basically, you know, please the please the media so I don't get fined, right? I'm only here so I don't get fined. I think it was the line. Mm-hmm. Capture uh, chicken. Right. So it's like, <laughs> in some sense, we need to do a better job. I will also say though, as a professional athlete, and the athletes know this, they train you. You're probably you're going to have a PR person. You're going to have an agent. They're going to probably prep you for some of this stuff. Uh, but there needs to be some some consideration for some of the mental aspects for sure. Before you put a pin in this, I, I put a bet just because I, you know, I could throw a couple bucks on the, right. the winner of the French Open. I put a bet on Naomi, okay, that she was going to win it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a losing bet. I don't, right. get, I don't get refunded on that. Maybe that bet should have been canceled. No, seriously. I mean, that's kind of BS, but I yeah. guess it is what it is. Okay, so speaking of uh, gambling issues and <laughs> um, horse racing was my, my first introduction to gambling in New York. I think it's statewide. Can you bet on horses as an 18 year old? Is that nationwide? I think so. I grew up next to a track and I guess this is important. Uh, Yonkers Racer, which was not controlled by the New York Racing Association. But in Westchester County, it's a, it's a harness track, which is a fancy way of saying the guys don't actually ride on the horses. They ride behind the horses in the chariots. So I guess we're going back to our, our friend, uh, Bob Baffert. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a horse with Dina Spirit that famously wins the Kentucky Derby and then a couple of days, you know, weeks after, tests positive for, um, you know, two higher levels of uh, beta-methasone. So Kentucky Derby basically says, we're going to suspend you, but we want to see how this, uh, this split test result comes out. So Bob Baffert this week, or I guess this past week comes out, you know, the, the split race comes back, confirms that it was beta-methasone. So Baffert goes, well, we're actually going to sue Kentucky because we think that these were, uh, was a contaminated uh, test result. So this is similar once upon a time to the Ryan Braun stuff, mm-hmm. right? He's not challenging that the thing was positive or negative. He's challenging almost like the chain of custody. What, what this, you know, what the substance, uh, I guess, was doing in, in transit. So Bob Baffert's busy. He's getting, he's suing Kentucky. He's getting sued by, we covered this on a, on a previous episode, but for, you know, like he's getting sued by the people that bet on Mandaloon to win the Kentucky Derby, a federal class action in California. So now the trilogy of these lawsuits, good things uh, come in threes. What is it, bad things come in threes? Good thing. I don't know. I, maybe it goes both. I think this is a good thing. Right. This is cleaning up the sport of horse racing. But right. Baffert is now suing the New York Racing Association from their ban of him and his suspension from the New York Racing Association control track. So I bring up Yonkers. Yonkers is not a New York racing control track. So there's no issue of monopoly over New York. It's just they control... Um, the Aqueduct, which is, you know, one of the big tracks, uh, Saratoga, which has the Traverse Stakes. It's the biggest race for four-year-olds. And the Belmont, the third leg of the Triple Crown. So, Jeremy, I'm, a, I'm kind of a, a horse racing, uh, I'm going to say junkie. It sounds better than degenerate. But um, <laughs> what, are you, what are your thoughts on uh, that for all this, all this madness? You know, I'm curious. Well, I want to make one clarification. So I think California is 21 years old to gamble. However, on Native American reservations, you'll only be 18. Okay. Don't ask me how I know that. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway... <laughs> It's one of those. You're things. over 21. Right, right. <laughs> so it, the backward thing's interesting because I almost feel like because his horses can still run, he just can't be present, right? Is that the I think it's I think it's confusing because he Medina Spirit wasn't allowed to run in the Belmont. So okay. and he wasn't there. So I think it's a combination. I think it's a kind of you know when you see it. He's trained the horse to a substantial gotcha. level. You can't just swap Jeremy Evans on there at the last minute. Right. You know? You know, it's funny. I mean, horse racing is such an amazing thing. I did not attend my first horse race probably until it was at Del Mar. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I was actually in law school. So I was in, I was what, 28 or something, 26, 27, 28, something like that. And uh, fascinating experience. Right? I've never been a gambler, but it was an amazing experience. Like throw a couple bucks down and like, 
watch the horses run and all that. A little exacto, right. a little superfecta action. Yeah, a little trifecta, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. a little something, but. I skipped right from exacto to superfecta. <laughs> trifecta's not enough. You needed to go more. Yeah, go big or go home. So I don't know. I definitely enjoyed the hats and the suits. So it, it's an interesting sport to your point about cleaning it up. I think there's a lot of that going on. I think there's a lot of pushback across the country with regard to the health of horses. I think that's the important point that's lost in all this is that we should be really looking at the health of the, the animals. And if there was a problem in that, okay, let's talk about it. But if this is an attack on Baffert, he, I think he's got a pretty good case. Of course, the problem is going to be, this is a private association. You mentioned there's no monopoly. Uh, and then of course, the issue of due process, there really was no due process in this. There wasn't. But they are a private association. Right. But what I have found often, and you know this better than me, in court cases, even where it's a private association, non-public, non-federal, non-state, private associations tend to model their processes after a due process thing. So it still could be that these guys, that Baffert might have a, a good argument, but my hope is that these guys settle, figure out a way, you know, maybe there's a suspension, depending on what the evidence shows. Yeah, so this is, this is a little tricky. So there's the New York Racing Association, which is a private entity. And then there's the Gaming Commission, which is a governmental entity. So the allegation here from Baffert's lawyers is that the New York Racing Association failed to uh, adhere to Baffert's rights under the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, right, right of due process. So if you're a governmental player, yes, you have to afford someone that right. As you pointed out, like New York Racing Association is not a government player. They're a private wing. So the complaint really interestingly tries to play out that this is, I'm just reading a, at least a quote from the complaint. The New York Racing Association is governed entirely by the Gaming Commission and its duly enacted regulations. And they point out that there's a lot of governmental players on the, on the NYRA and that it's almost quasi basically the Gaming Commission, which I don't know if that's actually the case, but it's an interesting argument because they can't really say, hey, New York Racing Association has a monopoly over New York because like Yonkers, like, there's a lot of tracks that have nothing to do with the Racing Association, but Racing Association has the three marquee tracks in, in New York. But for playing this out timing frame wise, I think the N NYRA probably messed up in one sense. They didn't allow him a hearing, they didn't allow him a right to appeal, they didn't allow him a right to fight any of this, which I don't know, could they have done it? Sure. Baffert, you know, he, he made some, again, talking about outspoken clients. Baffert was doing media like me saying, this must be a mistake. It's a conspiracy. I'm not saying it's conspiracy, but this is what a conspiracy would look like. And then like within 24 hours, like, oh, by the way, I found out that my, my horse took some ointment that has the banned substance in it and I didn't know about it. So a lesson in PR, you know, 101, don't speak before you know all the facts. Do you watch The Bachelor? Yeah. Do you? No, but. <laughs> you said, yeah, you said, but, yeah. Um, you like, could admit it on this podcast. It's well, I mean, I know what the, the show is. <laughs> I've never watched it, but I can, I know where this is coming. Well, I, I will, we won't deep, go far too deep into the weeds, but Chris Harrison, who is suspended or now no longer hosting the show, basically made a comment. The girl who, I want to say, won The Bachelor, who was picked by Matt James, Chris Harrison put his toe into the water of who was right, who was wrong, even though he admitted, like, I didn't know all the facts of what was going on. So, like, I don't know, PR 101, like, don't make a public statement. There's no gun to your head unless you know all of the facts. So Baffert did that. He basically said, there's no possible way this got into my horse's system. And then 48 hours later goes like, oh, yeah, our, our trainers actually gave him appointment. So I bring this up, like, Baffert, you know, made these comments like this is cancel culture and it's woke culture and this is insane. Right. So the New York Racing Association, I think, made some type of error when they suspended him, announced the suspension prior to the Preakness even running. Mm -hmm. So Kentucky Derby went off. Okay, we're going to have some issue with Medina Spirit that he won. They did not want to take away the race results. 
Meanwhile, the Preakness was still, hadn't yet been run. So the Belmont, AKA by the New York Racing Association, even before the Preakness, the second leg of the, of the Triple Crown was run said, hey, by the way, even though we're not at the third leg of the Triple Crown, Baffert's not gonna be able to race in it. So it put a little pressure on the Preakness to follow suit, which they did not. So did they have basically two, three weeks time to hold a hearing, a quote unquote hearing for Baffert to explain himself and give him due process? Probably. Probably, um, there was nothing really, you know, but they wanted to make a statement and they made an emphatic one. So I don't know, to your point, like, I think Baffert might have a point, but they yeah. should have done should have done it. Did they have to? Different story. Yeah, no, you bring us really good points. And I'll, I'll even point out that this is a somewhat similar matter to like NCAA and Title IX, mm -hmm. right? Because this whole like semi-government actor, uh, and it really comes down to, did you accept federal dollars or do you act like a government entity? And arguably, you could, you could make that and you could say, okay, there's government folks, it's a gaming commission, but they are private tracks. The, the gaming stuff is just, can you gamble there? So, you, I mean, you, can, you could argue that probably both ways. But I'll even kind of compare this back to the Bauer thing, mm -hmm. because this is really all about health of athletes, health of, in this case, horses. Horses are athletes. And, and, right. Yeah. And, and what are you using? And like, what's a good substance? What's a bad one? I think there's a lot of, there's even, for example, and we were talking about um, our sports law classes that we both teach. And, and I teach the uh, sport management students. And some of these folks were like, I wanna write a paper on allowing PEDs in sports. And it's one of these things where it's like, well, you can make the argument of like, get rid of it all or just accept it all and just let players choose. Mm -hmm. But I think at the end of the day, it's all about health. If what this horse was sort of given was, healthy to it and wasn't harming it i don't know i think but i think so, there needs to be a larger discussion i think is what i'm trying to say so this one's an in interesting gray area because I, I did research this drug it's essentially functions as an anti-inflammatory beta-methazone if anybody if i'm pronouncing it wrong one of the horse we had a horse lawyer that dm'd me on twitter that listens to the show and i'm like oh, horse racing lawyers nice. like okay i got them they, they exist yeah but it's an anti-inflammatory which it's it's dangerous for horses it's less dangerous for i mean it's dangerous for humans as well but it, it will mask some things. It's almost like a painkiller to some extent. Like if you're having an issue with an inflammation, that maybe that's a sign of some underlying issue. The horse can't talk. So if you're going to use some type of agent that's helping it ease the pain away, you know, the horse's legs are its livelihood. It's literally its life. So maybe you don't want to have, and this, it's not, to be clear, the beta methasone is not a banned substance. Like if you have any trace amount of a steroid in baseball, it's a suspension. This, there are trace amounts of it that are allowed. It's just that you can't have a certain high level of it. So what these horse racing trainers have done in the past, I went down a rabbit hole for this, which was just, just for my own, <laughs> my own interest. I guess horse racing trainers know to wean the horse off of this anti-inflammatory closer to the race, that everybody has to use it because the horse, you know, he needs to be able to run and whatnot, and it's fine. When you get closer to the race, everybody knows not to have it close in time to the race because you can get, you can get uh, sure. you know, hit for it. So Baffert's trainers, maybe there was a miscommunication. Somehow Baffert didn't know that his horse was getting this type of these type of levels. So there's some type of miscommunication, but you know, that everybody knows to play by the rules, except Baffert, Mr. Holder the Now, Mr. You know, it's kind of going back to the same conversation. Lance Armstrong, like Barry Bonds, like you can have so much success, but if after the fact these things are going to be deemed inappropriate, like it's going to ruin your legacy. Lance Armstrong's an interesting one too, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody was doing it. Barry Bonds, everyone was doing it, but we look back in history at both of those guys as like they cheated at the time, which they did not. I mean, maybe Lance Armstrong's a little bit different. Did you watch that Lance Armstrong? It was another good, another yeah, good documentary. Another good one, yeah, they've got a really, 30 for 30, right? They've done a really good job yeah. with those. Yeah. yeah. It is an interesting case with Armstrong. I mean, 
guy was an American hero. And then seriously, you know, we all had the bracelets. We all loved him. I mean, I didn't watch cycling before him and I haven't watched it really since. Besides that documentary. Right. 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 So it's, I don't know, but I think at the end of the day, you and I both talked about this throughout the show. It's about this due process aspect. It'd be nice to know what the rules are up front and it'd be nice to not be penalized for something after the fact, you know, and I think that's, it's just this aspect of fairness, I think is important. In wrapping, you, you bring up this, this great point going back to, to baseball, like, you know, it's 2021, uh, as we sit here. I think there's a world where Garrett Cole, Trevor Bauer, even Jacob deGrom, who we have not mentioned, who has his own, people are saying he's not involved, but his, you know, his spin rate's not really increasing to a crazy level, but his velocity is so, you know, this is eerily reminiscent of the steroid conversation we were having. We had guys that were hitting, you know, like Greg Vaughn, who no one will remember in history, Brady Anderson, who had 50 homers. If you hit 50 homers now, you're a legend. Like Chris Davis with the Orioles has like made a career off of like one good year where he, where he you know, was hitting crazy homers. But yeah, I think 15 years from now, we're going to look back and be like, these pitchers are not going to make the hole. I mean, is that, is that possible? So, I mean, it's possible uh, because if they, if it turns out now that this rules in place and they get suspended, how about, but it, let's say they have no suspensions moving forward. Well, I mean, you know, Barry Bonds was never suspended. Right. Again, I think this is all about due process. You have, even if you're not a government actor, I think that's the, if you and I were building an association, we would have those rules in place. I don't know. To me, if you don't have those rules in place, you don't have a legitimate organization because then it's like, it's basically a clown show when it comes to like. That was a good, I was not going to say clown show, right. a different type of show, <laughs> right. an S show. Right. right. <laughs> a cluster. Right. Jeremy, well, I guess it was it was great having you. I know you have a you have a flight back to, to New York, but anything to, to add before we put in books? And uh, I might have some party words as well. Dan, you're a good guy. Love love hanging out with you. It's been great being your friend these last, you know, I guess 10, 12 years. Yeah, and we're all we're all men now. Looking yes, we are. And looking forward to to the next sort of decade or and more, you know. Um, I really look up to you. I think, you know, you're like you have this great East Coast and sort of national presence. And I'm doing my thing out on, you know, in the West and you know, it's just, it's awesome. I'm just I, glad to be here with you. No, likewise. And I want to give you a shout out. I, I knew um, you have a recent appointment to the, yeah. so <laughs> I, I, let's give you some more credit. California right. sports lawyer is the name of your firm. Right. So talk about branding. Like right. if, there's no one that calls up California sports lawyer and is like, what does this guy do? Right. 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 It's very clear. Right. So, so no. you, you got an appointment recently? Yeah. So I got elected as the president of the California Lawyers Association which is the largest voluntary bar association, I think, in the world. So it's a great honor. It's going to be a good couple of years putting on some educational programs. and Some, some non-sports. Right, right, non-sports, increasing access to justice, just doing a lot of really good things. It's a great group of people. We've got, you know, 100,000 members. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a cool thing. So, you know, just to echo that, Jeremy and I were talking before the show started, like, you know, we both get people to reach out, to reach out, like, how do we get into sports law and sports law? You know, I, I'm sure Jeremy are the same way. Like there's a, we'll say, a non-insignificant amount of my cases involve pure sports that are cool cases. We can't get into the substance, but my firm has the Juwan James case with the, the Broncos grievance, or else we would talk about it, but right. I, would, I would get yelled at. But like most of my cases are have nothing to do with sports. And the reason I got a quote unquote sports law opportunity is because of all the work I did in litigation. And I know the reason that you got this California Lawyers Association appointment because all the work that you're doing has nothing to do with sports, it's just networking. So I was, you know, the chair of the Westchester County Bar, where I'm from in New York, yeah. their technology law committee. I've been a member of the New York State Bar Social Media Committee. Nothing to do with sports. I'm just meeting a ton of people. So, you know, people are looking to say, like, 
man, I can't break into sports law. Like Jeremy didn't, I didn't. Like we, we had to break down a couple doors that had nothing to do with sports. Agreed. It's a great point. You know, people often tell me or share that if you want to be good at something, you know, you want to be a good sports lawyer, you need to be a good lawyer first. Mm-hmm. And that requires doing things that are, you know, completely unrelated to sports. So I guess we can put in the books and uh, Jeremy, pleasure having you and safe flight back to California. Thank you, my friend. Pleasure to be here. So that was Jeremy Evans, uh, obviously a fun conversation that hits on a lot of topics, Major League Baseball, sticky situation, Bob Baffert, uh, tennis, uh, a bunch of levels. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep our eyes glued to that. So that said, um, welcoming back Stephanie and Mike, um, our lovely segment, which I, I get uh, a lot of good feedback for, what to watch for. Mike, so I turn it over to you. Uh, anything you're, you're looking forward to uh, in the next couple of days, weeks? Definitely excited to see what happens with the second Senate hearing with the student athletes. I'm curious to see what witnesses they bring forward and what is actually going to be discussed on the student athletes perspective. It's a tough arena for student athletes to really be, I think they're highly educated on the subject because of what's happened, but it's, it's so difficult to, to kind of get their perspective on it because they don't know what it's like to actually have an agent, to actually have somebody that can represent them because they've been told their entire life, you can't have representation, you can't be paid, your eligibility will be revoked. So it's not even something that they've even gone through, like, oh, what if I do this? So I'm interested to see what what they have to say. I'm definitely looking forward to that. July 1st is looming. We now have six states with Texas coming in on the legalization for name, image, and likeness uh, with their bills. I'm also really excited for Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, three. That's July 10th. I'm very excited to see that. I'm a huge McGregor fan, so... Anytime he fights, I'm, I'm super stoked. All right. What to watch for for me? Well, obviously, the bar exam, I've been studying for that. And that's been a, loads of fun, as I'm sure you can all imagine. But I always talk about the NBA. So obviously, I have to talk about the NBA again. If you can't tell that's my favorite professional sports league. There you go. It is. And Kevin Durant popped off last night. 49 points. And I mean, I think that kind of solidified himself in top three basketball players of all time. I don't know, that might be a hot take, but he really needed to deliver and perform yesterday. They were down for a few first quarters and then they really came back and charged against the Bucks in the fourth quarter. And so I'm definitely looking forward to the next game tomorrow, that'll be in Milwaukee. So maybe the home home stadium advantage won't be there. But also I've been shipping the Suns the entire time too. So if the Nets somehow get out, then Suns, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, I hope they I hope they get that championship. So Steph, do you think Harden shouldn't have played? Do you think they rushed him back? I mean, the point deferential at the end, I think Harden only scored what, like six points? So maybe yeah, he, they might have needed, but he exactly he didn't really contribute to it at all. I think hopefully he's not. Hopefully he didn't injure himself even more for next game. But I mean, yeah, they they probably were thinking they needed him, but that I don't know. Most, that might have been the most KT tape I've ever seen on somebody's leg. His entire leg was just wrapped with it. I thought he was wearing a skateys at first or something. It looked. A win is a win. So those six points that James Harden contributed contributed to that win. So uh, as someone that bet for the Bucks last night, that was a very brutal loss to take. Durant was on fire. So your take that he's the third best player in the league, in the league right now or ever, Steph? What was that? I might. We need you to clarify this because we have the tape. This is being I important. mean, right now, 
I personally think that, well, Devin Booker got snubbed in the, they just announced the all first, first team or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Him and Trey Young should have been in there. But I mean, Kevin Durant, definitely top three players right now, but I think easily top five, if not top three of all time. Your, your buddy, uh, Giannis, who uh, you indirectly interviewed when you interviewed Mark Lazary at the New York Sports Club <laughs> Forum, he said that Kevin Durant is the best player in the universe right now. So we'll see. We were recording this right after game five. Yeah, Giannis says he wants to now guard Durant. So let's see who the best player in the universe is. So my what to watch for, apropos, we've spent a lot of this podcast talking about Busbyisms, okay? And then uh, we had a lot of fun talking about Baffertisms, you know, about certain horses uh, peeing on hay, or actually trainers peeing on hay, and then horses eating them, all this fun stuff. Now, guys, you know if I could have found that way to this to a full topic, I would have. But we have Baffertisms, we have Busbyisms, and now we have burritoisms. okay? This is from SportsCenter. Shelby Houlihan, the American record holder in the 1,500 and 5,000 meters, posted on social media that she's been banned for four years following a positive test for what she concluded was a tainted pork burrito. Guys, I'm not, I'm not sure how many runners are supposed to be eating pork burritos before a race. I'm not sure that anybody had to specify, by the way, guys, I'd like a pork burrito, hold the steroids. But here we are, guys. Here we are, a tainted pork burrito. Let me ask, I'm going to pull it to you. What do we like more? Urine hay defense, trainer peeing, a trainer taking cold medicine, and then a horse eating it and resulting in a positive test. That's the Bob Baffert defense. Or the tainted pork burrito defense from uh, Ms. Shelby. Which, which one do we think is more believable? I think the, the urine defense is probably slightly more believable. I don't know. I would not be eating a pork burrito right before I'm about to go sprinting. Right? Carbo like, load. Have you ever seen... You know, yeah, Michael Scott's fun run. You know, everyone knows not to eat Mexican food before they're about to do some sort of cardio or something like that. It messes up. I don't know. Up. Are you an elite runner? Do you do you train? What what's their food? What's their food prep like? Yeah, that would be probably. If you're gonna have a burrito, you probably should now. Moving forward, best practices. Hey, I'd like a pork burrito, but hold the steroids. Please hold the steroids. Do not put the steroids in there. Mike, you think that the urine hay defense is less believable? I saw your your face on that. Oh, yeah, that's less believable. That's way less believable. I, I mean, with the amount of preservatives, whatever, steroids that they put into these animals, the GMOs on all food, I think that's way more believable than some cough medicine. But I don't know. I think they're both kind of a stretch. Okay, so with that said, guys, anything else to add before we, we put this in the books? Steph, Mike? Mike, thank you for taking time from your, your busy, very busy billable hour job. Stephanie from the bar. Um, uh, Dan? Hopefully will join us at some point. We think maybe he's uh, being held captive in Russia. We, it is not clear at this point. Dan is on social media at Wallach Legal. Myself, Dan Lust at Sports Law Lust. Mike Lawson is at Mike underscore son of underscore law. Stephanie is at Steph explains it all on at least one of the platforms. You can figure out what her other one is because it's there's two. We're only going to promote one of them, Steph. And with that said, the Conduct Detrimental family, we will see you next week on another episode of Conduct Detrimental.